guys. Welcome back to the Forking Wellness Podcast. My name is Barry Strickoff, Registered Dietitian. And I'm Sophie Bertrand, Registered Nutritionist, and we are the authors of the Forking Wellness book and obviously the Forking Wellness Podcast. Each week we sit down and we discuss all things health and wellness from debunking diet myths to nutrition information, lifestyle factors, etc. Stick with us while we try and work out what the Fork Wellness really is. I don't even know what we do. Hi guys, welcome back to the Forking Wellness Podcast. We're so excited to be back with a guest this week, Dr. Rachel Evans. Hi, Rachel. Hi. We're so excited to have you on the podcast today. And we're actually going to be talking all things um, bulimia, which is actually a topic that we haven't covered yet, Mm. despite us talking so much about, you know, other eating disorders and disordered eating. So please introduce yourself. Um, Tell everyone about you. Yeah, so I'm not a medical doctor. I actually have a PhD in the psychology of eating. Um, And yeah, I'm a specialist in eating disorder recovery, work with people to recover from bulimia. It's something that I suffered with myself. And so I can really bring that perspective of someone who has been through it, but also someone who now knows evidence-based techniques in order to help you um, change those behaviours, change those thoughts, really like just live your life again without like the shadow of bulimia coming around with you all day every day so um yeah also I work in private practice which um I really love probably both of you guys <laughs> um also love that too amazing first of all like well done getting a PhD is hard work um I remember when Barry and I were doing our masters and we were like so PhD next like absolutely not um it takes so much dedication and time and it's just incredible that you've actually got that qualification and as well with your personal experience as well um it sounds like you are so dedicated to helping people in this area I definitely nearly quit the PhD like a million times (laughs) but I'm glad that I carried on (laughs) we felt like that on our masters so that was yeah (laughs) yeah I also feel like with such a topic it's quite like emotional and you get like emotionally Mm. invested which can also make you feel a bit more I don't know I just feel like something about studying psychology and nutrition and disordered eating and eating disorders is a bit more taxing than maybe doing a PhD in maths. Yeah. It's, it's harder to get through if that makes sense. And I I can't, I'm not in that situation, so I can't say, but I do think it's, it's an emotional journey. It is. For me, it was actually all the personal stuff, you know, in terms of like, okay, let's try and leave perfectionism behind this, you know, paper that I'm writing is never going to be perfect. So it was really actually more the, self-development stuff that I found hard and like personal growth um side of things but it's done now super pleased (laughs) I was gonna say I don't have to think about it anymore I do obviously because it's part of my um job now to talk about those topics but I don't have to think about writing research papers anymore so that was very good (laughs) yeah completely was the driving factor behind you kind of doing this degree and qualification your own experience so it was actually um kind of yes kind of no um so my eating disorder started off as very restrictive um and then I started binge eating then it went to bulimia which I'm sure we'll get into what is bulimia yeah um, and during the restrictive phase I was very in denial for a while and I finally decided well no I didn't decide <laughs> finally listened to my parents saying look you really need help I went to see a psychologist and she really helped me like find a direction in my life and look like, okay, what am I good at? Because I'm really lacking purpose. Um, 
I was feeling very depressed every day just about like Groundhog Day of me being obsessed about food and exercise um, and I realized oh I actually really enjoyed being at uni mm. like for my undergrad and master's maybe I should go back and do a PhD so actually at the beginning of my PhD for the first two years I had the eating disorder um which did not make me as productive as I could be um so it actually took me four years rather than three um to finish but I'm glad I did it um as we said <laughs> glad I finished it in the end um yeah. but yeah I suppose it was more personal reasons than wanting to do eating and I guess the topic was yeah because I'm really interested in this area does that make sense? Yeah, I think it's so common in both psychology that. and nutrition because like Barry and I have both been very open about our re- relationship with food in the past. And I just know so many people that want to help people after having suffered or not even, you know, a full on eating disorder, but just having some form of disordered eating or disordered relationship with food. Um you know, moving yeah. forward. And actually, I think it's also interesting because I know there's some research and if um, looking into people who do work in our field, we are at higher risk of having mm. disordered eating and yeah. eating disorders. And you kind of naturally gravitate towards the career that suits your interests, or I don't know if it's a masking thing, because you get to talk about food a lot and nutrition. I think there's a lot of things that can kind of go into it. So I definitely think it's super common. Um, and then I guess it's like the more education you get, the more knowledge you can kind of put yourself in the right direction but I, I do think it's like people I like most nutritionists I know and dietitians mm. and therapists yeah. get into this because they've had some experience yeah I'm really pleased that we're talking about and addressing bulimia today because when I you know I've been very open about my history and I the you know when I was suffering with bulimia that I was so ashamed not as much when I had more anorexic tendencies and was very restrictive. It was the bulimia that I was so ashamed of because I felt like it was like disgusting and like, I don't know, I'd like, it was just like a dirty word. I never wanted to talk about it. I was always very open with the fact that I suffered with anorexia, but I was less forthcoming over the fact that actually I did used to like binge and purge as well. I guess that's like a good segue into like going into like the definition of mm. bulimia because I do think there's different subtypes especially like restricted yeah. plus the binge purge like subtypes and Rachel can you please help everyone understand you know the different definitions and categories because it is like it is um stigmatizing and yeah, I think it's important for us to talk about it yeah definitely I'd love to come back to that shame um piece as well because I think it's really important to talk about that um, so according to the DSM criteria, which is the Diagnostic Statistical Manual that like, psychologists or therapists or doctors use um, to diagnose people. So bulimia is when you have binge eating. So that would be eating a quantity of food um, larger than most people in a similar period. So it's quite subjective. And what it doesn't mean is like Christmas Day when probably everyone overeats a bit. Um, typically, binges tend to happen. Mostly people do it when they're on their own or um, as Sophie said it often comes with that shame it often comes with this feeling that you're out of control so some of my clients say like you feel like you've gone on autopilot and you've not realized what you're eating until you like come to the end of a packet of something or sometimes I've kind of experienced it as I was thinking I should stop now but you almost just keep going and going mm. and going um, until either you're really full or I don't know someone catches you um, so yeah, it comes with that, those feelings of shame, of guilt, and then 
often because of those feelings or maybe because of like physical feelings of being so full, then people try and compensate for it. So with binge eating disorder, it's the binge eating and people might think about compensating, which I'll talk about what that is in a second, but don't follow through with it. Whereas with bulimia, in terms of the compensating, I think like Sophie said, so it could be purging in terms of making yourself vomit. Um, it could be taking like laxatives or diuretics, which are like the ones to get rid of water in your body. Um, it could be excessive exercise, which often people don't realize. So if you're going for like a really long run because you've eaten, um, you've had that binge and you feel like it's too much. It can even be fasting, which I think is where we get into the confusing mm. territory because fasting seems to be really popular at the moment, like intermittent fasting. Um, but if you're doing it in response to your binge, actually it could be that you have um, bulimia. Obviously, don't self-diagnose, get a second um, opinion or see your doctor and things. Um, and actually, so to be diagnosed with bulimia, this would be happening about once a week for three months. Um, even if it's happening less, so I say it's probably still having a massive impact on your life and your quality of life. You're probably thinking about it other times, it's really dictating a lot of things. So even if it isn't that much, it's still definitely worth um, seeking some help or carrying on listening to this episode. And I suppose just a final piece that when um, you have bulimia, like your shape and weight or what you think of it really influences how you feel about yourself and kind of what you're thinking about yourself. Um, and I know Barry also mentioned about um, purging. You can also have purging disorder, which doesn't come with the binge. Um, that you were just doing the compensating so it does get a confusing um, grey area for people but I think if you're making yourself vomit if you're abusing laxatives these are not good behaviours to be having they're going to be having so many knock-on impacts on your health and well-being. I think a lot of that crosses over as well because the the purging without the binging is something I did the binging and then purging you know I kind of I know a lot of people almost not go back and forth but they mm -hmm. cross over a lot and just going back to quickly what you said about if you're doing it at least once a week yeah I, just, I wanted to bring that up as well yeah for anyone that is suffering it it can be up to three times a day as far as I'm aware and I just want if anyone is listening you know them to think oh god like once a week I do it x amount of times a day that is very very serious and yeah that is please, a please, good point they have help. different severity cutoffs mm -hmm. which again I don't think it's too helpful because like you say people can think oh well I'm not sick enough which is very common yeah. thought, probably when you talked about eating disorders before you've thought about that um and I always kind of say like don't wait until it gets more often I think yeah. when I went from the restricting and then I was making myself vomit maybe it was about once a week then and I was like totally in denial yeah about it it's only when it got like I felt like it was taking over my whole life that I took action which is not a nice place I think for in. me it's like actually the three month qualification is what gets me because I yeah. think it's and I think this is something with just eating disorder services like you have to qualify in order to get help especially with the NHS because you yeah. have to have a formal diagnosis and then some yeah. people don't qualify and we end up turning patients away and say no you've not been sick enough long enough come back yeah. when you're really sick which I think is just it's really difficult and I think is we know from the research that the sooner you have intervention the more likely you are to fully recover and I would say that actually waiting three months is 
I'd say as soon as you develop any thoughts, any tendencies, it happens once. I say the sooner you seek help is better, better likelihood that you will recover. Yeah, I think all the time, like you say, you're waiting in that three month period, you're just reinforcing to yourself every time you're sick. It feels like that reward, whether sometimes people say it feels like that release. Um, sometimes people kind of say, oh, I'm waiting all my day to, to get that release. You're almost strengthening that pathway in your brain yeah. for that behavior. You don't want to be strengthening that habit. So definitely um, seeking some kind of help, whether that's um, the Beat website. Uh, you probably talked about that before. I love the Beat website. There's loads of information on there, like trying to get some help to help yourself understand what's going on and put something in place um, to I guess stop it going on. It's a bad sentence, but you know what I mean. Yeah, definitely. Um, something that we learned in our masters um, that has always weirdly stuck with me um, about diagnosing and just um, tendencies around different eating disorders was I remember learning that people who tend to be more restrictive and develop anorexic tend to have more type A personalities, more perfectionistic mm. tendencies. It, a lot of time it coincides with OCD tendencies as well. And then I remember we learned that people who fall under the binge eating and bulimic categories are much more irrational, impulsive. Um, they tend to suffer a lot more trauma, um, more likely to have drug and alcohol abuse and even like, um, sexual assault cases and I just always found that like differentiation between like I just so interesting um and the, how different personality traits lend to different you know effects sorry there's a siren in the background um but do you see that show up and is that I, I mean we learned about it in our master's so I'm like hoping that that is backed up by evidence um but do you do you see that in your practice I would say, to be honest, I'm not fully on board with that because, like Sophie touched on, actually people can move between categories. 100%. That's why I want to ask it. It's such categories a are only what we have decided are going to be the categories. Agreed. It's like an artificial thing, which has so many benefits um, of helping people. But equally, I'm not the biggest fan of it, mm. unfortunately, because like we've kind of said, I think so many people can step through and actually... 50% of people who get diagnosed with an eating disorder in the other um, feeding, other specified feeding eating disorder category, which feels to people like saying, well, we're not quite sure what's wrong with you. Yeah, you've got you're, a few symptoms, okay, but, but yeah. Yeah, which obviously can feel quite invalidating. Um, so, I mean, if there's research evidence, there's probably something behind it. Um, but yeah I'm not too sure how that actually really plays out I suppose if you had asked me when I was restricting I don't know I was still perfectionist even when I was making myself sick because mm. what I'd eaten wasn't perfect so I was gonna yeah, get rid of it which just to say you are not getting rid of it all you're doing so much damage to your body yeah um people think it's a get out jail free card but it's really not no, I, yeah. and they're big red letters <laughs> But I guess with that, it's like the restriction is first and then the binging and the purging might have been the subcategory. But I guess like for people who don't restrict and then just binge purge, I guess that might be where I mean, it, I think it's always stuck out to me because I always found it a really weird dichotic kind of mm. like this is this camp and these people fall into this camp. And I think it has stuck with me because I just couldn't 
like wrap my head around that or just couldn't accept it. It makes sense in the sense that, you know, it's a very out of control behavior versus a very controlling behavior. So I guess that's where the evidence lies. But like you said, and I always say as well, like I can talk about my experience with eating disorder as can you and as can anyone else, but everyone's experience is so, so different. And this is why we don't have a kind of sure recovery plan for people because everyone experiences it so differently. Yeah, what I would say is my PhD um, was a lot about looking about how do we measure things. So it actually got quite theoretical rather than Mm. uh, kind of practical and stuff because I just couldn't get my head around. We can get such different correlations between different variables. So for example, self-control and what you eat. If we measure self-control using like a measure in the lab or we use a questionnaire or a different questionnaire and then how do we measure what people are eating or how do we measure their eating disorder thoughts and behaviors actually correlations can be very different mm. and honestly I got slightly disillusioned <laughs> and I was like I'm leaving academia now <laughs> to actually work with people and apply these things but I think when you're reading the paper it's always worth um, looking at the discussion and the limitations and things rather than just taking everything as this is black and white fact, which obviously you guys know, but just <laughs> just mm. for other people when you see those yeah. things in the news and you think, hmm, not sure about this, how they're reporting this. Yeah, you mentioned um, some of you know the damage that you can do to your body. I think that's really important to bring up for anyone who's listening and does suffer. It's kind of like I used to be really ignorant about it because you kind of because you can't see it, so you don't want to mm-hmm. believe it because you, you know you feel like it is. And kind of an addiction in the sense that it's very difficult to stop so what are some of those kind of physical emotional psychological um consequences of this type of eating disorder yeah so I think what you say something at times people don't know but even if you know it's really easy to say oh this won't happen to me but obviously mm. it does happen to people so that's a really important thing um, to say I try there's so many things I try and go from top down so I don't forget stuff but I'm probably going to forget stuff um you try myself a little tick list to have on my um, computer so just thinking in terms of your brain actually your brain chemistry is almost getting unbalanced if you're purging because mm. it releases endorphins when you're purging and that's kind of the addictive that you can feel like almost addicted to being sick and like nothing is going to feel that good and it definitely happened to me some people sometimes people don't get that but sometimes they do um not in terms of physical but still in terms of the your brain and like the mental just the amount of time that you can spend thinking about food or planning when you're going to have a binge or when you're going to purge and just thinking how much more time you would spend on other things often people like get brain fog um, because of it, like can't concentrate as well and kind of moving down. Actually, when you vomit, you can like burst blood vessels in your eyes. I'm not sure if anyone's ever had that happen to them to a smaller or lesser extent. Um, like moving down a bit more in terms of like your um, saliva glands and like your cheeks and your um, kind of neck can become quite swollen and again get quite damaged, um, which I guess in my experience it would go down quite quickly but sometimes people have it that actually even when you have stopped vomiting then you feel like your face is still a different shape for a while which can be quite triggering for people when they're like oh I've stopped now why hasn't everything gone back to normal but you're doing damage to your body and obviously in terms of your um your teeth and mouth and like more mouth ulcers damage to your teeth um that was one of my big motivations to stop because I went to the dentist and she was like um 
going on here so I did tell her and then actually side note I always say try and be open with your dentist if you're purging because there is things that they can do like I don't know what it was specifically but she ended up like painting some stuff on my teeth to try and protect them yeah from um, all the acid and stuff yeah exactly from the acid um probably should have said that um yeah and then obviously if you are self-induced vomiting using your fingers or using something else um you can damage your throat which could be quite dangerous um so to a larger a small or larger extent you can like get reflux heartburn damage your digestive tract so again even when you've stopped you actually might still carry on getting that because your digestive system doesn't repair itself just overnight um in terms of like laxatives obviously having a big effect on your digestive system you guys probably know um a lot more about that than me um mm. since this is what you um work with clients usually when I work with clients I do try and get them to see a dietitian at the same time to help with all the digestive issues and um, that can go on because of it and then thinking if you're fasting or any of these things your blood sugar is probably all over the place your mood is probably all over the place and you're thinking probably just thinking that you're really a rational person now or often my clients say I feel crazy but you're not it's very understandable Mm. I think if you don't mind for a second me going on a tangent about the shame thing it's really understandable what you were going through like I said maybe your mood is feels like it's all over the place because of the blood sugar and so maybe you don't respond in the way that you might have done if your body was nourished or someone else might respond in that same situation if you've got all these thoughts about food you might be more snappy or something um and also then thinking about how you got to this point actually there's so many life events and things that have happened sometimes I say it kind of say it's like a snowball like these little things start and then that triggers something else and maybe a comment that someone's made and your I think personality does come into it um, in terms of like there are certain things that we do if people are quite sensitive maybe they would take that comment different to someone else who wasn't so sensitive and we can like start to see for the individual what were the factors that got you here there's never just one thing I think once you can start to see and go back and almost look at your life and think oh that did happen and that happened this is how I responded in that situation because I didn't know how else to respond you can always take that blame off yourself a little bit did that make sense maybe it wasn't the best <laughs> first time I've ever explained that but yeah no I think that was like I mean you mentioned so many like um knock-on effects that it has I think that just goes to show that just one your actions don't happen in isolation there is a knock-on effect on your overall health and sometimes it is self-perpetuating in terms of like down mood and you know like you said like feeling swollen and puffy there's a lot of like acid and inflammation that's happening and it is kind of like almost like that self-perpetuating shameful do it in Mm. secret kind of thing and like it is yeah, there's a lot going on, especially in terms of electrolyte imbalances. Yeah, um, it's so. quite dangerous in terms of like both purging and laxative use have a massive impact on electrolytes and um, your body is constantly trying to balance your electrolytes and maintain homeostasis and you're actively going against that. You can, yeah, do some damage there as well for your kidneys sorry one more thing as well is you lose you can lose potassium over time as well when purging you know to a a severe you know if you're doing it every day and to be low in potassium is really dangerous as well and can sometimes lead to heart palpitations yeah and like lack of blood clotting Mm -hmm. 
yeah. Lots of things. I'm glad you added that in. I told you, I always forget something like really important. And when you started talking about it, I was like, the electrolytes, but you've got it covered. Well done. I feel like um, you took care of all like the mental things that we probably or I probably would have missed because it's not my area of expertise. <laughs> so it's great to great to get that like balance. If um, if someone who is listening, who is suffering and obviously that feeling, that cycle of like binge purging, but then also the feelings of guilt and shame that comes with it. And I know it's kind of very easy to say, OK, this is going to be the last time. It, that's like with anything it's like whether you're dieting or trying to stop something or you want to stop smoking or it's always like okay this is the last one and it never quite happens what advice would you give to someone who actually really does need to seek help and doesn't quite know how to seek it and stick with it if that makes sense yeah I think you've already um, kind of described in that the person would come to this point of realizing actually any good bits that this is giving me are really small or less important than all these negative things that are happening. I think that's really the first step in recovery from an eating disorder is trying to just take that step back, have a look at your life. Because I think people do have a lot of worries, like what you said about in the criteria that you are probably really worried about how your weight and shape is going to change. So I think just almost, um, I have a free ebook about this, if you don't mind me. <laughs> so it's free, but it's to help people um, kind of do that evaluation about what are the good things about this, what are the bad things, which sounds a bit boring, but it's actually really impactful, especially when you get it down on paper and you can see in black and white. Oh my gosh, look at all these health effects, look at what it's doing to my relationship with my friends and my family. Um, you know, and then in the ebook, it kind of helps you think of next um if people don't want to download that I would also say like the beat website and just trying to get more information so obviously trying to cover as much as we can in a short time but we're not going to get everything so I think just that education piece and like more understanding what's going on for you um like I say so you can stop thinking like oh it's just because I've got no willpower and I'm a rubbish Mm -hmm. person well if you're thinking that it's going to undermine your uh, progress towards recovery rather than thinking it's understandable what I'm going through mm-hmm. I'm really strong to recognize that something is going on and to seek help and um, I would also say that conversation about recovering from eating disorders is difficult it's definitely uncomfortable but I don't think we should build it up to be oh my god this is going to be really hard and it's going to be really horrible because you've got that picture in your head it doesn't seem appealing to try and do it then so I will say the amount of times it, it is uncomfortable, you know, you're doing new things, you're building new habits, you're letting go of the old habits, maybe you're having to confront new emotions and learn skills that you didn't learn when you were growing up. But the benefits are so much more when, you know, your mood starts to be more stable, you start to feel happier, you start to feel more accepting of your body, you can, you know, go on holiday and not have the eating disorder come with you. Right. I think looking out for those benefits as you go along, which I always do with my clients, we kind of do a little, what was something that went well this week or what's your celebration and just be really motivating to keep going rather than kind of like Sophie was saying, often people get to a certain point and then you want to go back. But I kind of say to people, you've come this far. If you go back, you have to come this far again. And maybe it will be easier because you've already learned some skills and stuff, but why not just keep going to the other side? 
and then you'll basically only have to recover once rather than like 10 little times no one can see what I'm doing with my hands <laughs> it's reading I'm listening but um does that make sense yeah of course. Rephrase it if it didn't make sense <laughs> no I get that it's like I know that it can seem daunting to people but it's like if you do it then you never have to do it again kind of thing <laughs> as opposed to like half-heartedly doing it take a step back it just makes that barrier mm. that much harder to cross the second time and the third time and the fourth time <laughs> whereas if you put all that energy into the first attempt you in the long run I think will be in a better place but obviously yeah. that's easier said than done right like everyone's mental yeah. state is at a different point and you know everyone has life experiences that we can't speak for we're not in everyone's shoes so if that is something that you're struggling with I'm not trying to like judge I'm just saying that um I think going through with it I think you'll be thankful that you do um there was something else that you were just talking about before that that like really intrigued me oh um where does um like CBT come into all of this I'm like don't ask me about CBT I'm not CBT trained I think it's really helpful in terms of helping us look at our thoughts our feelings our behaviors and how they are related and changing thoughts so I suppose um I really like the caveat that you put on what I had said about you know let's recover once um but I think it's that almost reframing piece for people and helping them look at their thoughts and take that step back and um, what I would say is that when I was recovering I was offered CBT and I decided that wasn't really um the approach that I wanted to go down I think I had a lot of misconceptions about it as well even having studied psychology um but sometimes I think CBT feels a little bit too much like a one-size-fits-all approach it's got its flexibility um but I also like being able to apply different techniques like hypnotherapy and sort of neuro-linguistic programming and other things to help people so I think the principles of CBT are a really important part mm-hmm. but I just feel like from my personal experience and from clients there's other things that we can also add on to make recovery yeah easier I- or certain people like certain techniques more yeah of course one thing isn't going to work for everyone and instead of just like it's a um accumulation of a bunch of different things that will probably resonate with someone right so I totally understand that just we just learned I just remember learning that was like the the recommended like in the nice guidelines which is what we were taught but I get that that doesn't work for everyone and we need a personalized approach same thing with nutrition though having a small rant so CBT is the gold standard let's not take that away from it but also CBT has the most research it has the most funding it's shown success it's easy to easier to apply in the NHS because it has got a structure right and so actually stuff like hypnotherapy I used to like hate hypnotherapy because I was like we can't test it as well um obviously if you're working with someone's subconscious mind it's very difficult to design a study yeah. you know to make sure we're measuring that exactly um but then actually I found my clients can get really good results with that so that's kind of what I go and now and the principles make sense to me so definitely let's have evidence-based but also I guess my approach is let's be open-minded to other things like I guess more research is coming out now about things like yoga and for helping like calm the nervous system help with mindfulness but unfortunately we don't have all the research evidence ever that we like you probably you guys probably know nutrition you probably it's kind of similar in the sense that we will literally say in the nutrition world and it's not a one-size-fits-all which is why you know 
the diet industry is so huge because everyone's looking for this one you know correct way of being healthy or losing weight or whatever it is um but you know barry say barry and i sorry say this all the time that like if i lived barry's life and ate what barry ate i would i would be miserable and she would be miserable doing what i do and eating what i eat and but we're both very healthy individuals who are just doing our own thing and we've worked out what works for us yeah i completely agree and everyone's recovery story is different because everyone's journey is different and why how they got there and the like the thought processes that they had that led to those decisions are all different and unique so we need to apply the same unique individual strategies for the treatment side of it as well. Um, and I, I do feel that frustration sometimes when in the research, like public health measures um, and what we learn our gold standards might not apply to everyone. Um, and I think it is very important to know that that's not the only option and the people listening know that there are several options and it just because you tried one thing and it didn't work doesn't mean that it's not possible. It just might take a bit longer to find the thing that works for you yeah can I just hop in on that because that does make sense because I was going to get back to something but also makes sense with what you're saying now when I was kind of saying about the recover once um thing or kind of push through and keep going actually it doesn't mean that in that that is going to be like a graph of a straight line trajectory of you going up to recovery there are going to be times that you would have a lapse which is maybe when the thoughts or behaviors come back kind of once or twice you might even have every lapse in terms of okay it happens more but if you're getting support you can keep moving forward and learn from it so sometimes I mean I was definitely in this camp I'm probably still in this camp sometimes in terms of business stuff like if I do a free webinar or something and like no one turns up or something (laughs) it's really easy to be like oh that didn't work and then get loads of negative self-talk and start to be hard on ourselves or frustrated and kind of um, I don't do it so much now, but for me, want to watch TV all day and just give up on everything. Actually, you're learning so much from that. You've just learned what doesn't work for you or what doesn't work at this time, which is actually really valuable. So then if you wanted to find a new or different therapist, that you would know, okay, I didn't like that because of X, Y, and Z, which does take a little bit of self-reflection, but it's really helpful for you to move forward. And my clients will be sick of me telling them all the time, no fairy only feedback like what did you learn from that experience because I think that's just such a valuable life skill to have in everything yeah I completely agree and I can kind of um relate to that in my work um we run a lot of growth tests I work also for um a health tech startup and a lot of the time our growth tests fail and it's never like oh this failed it's like what learnings did we get and so Mm -hmm. it's the same thing if like um everyone always says for every or we tell our clients and people on our program that for every like one step you take forward, you might get two steps back, but not seeing it as a failure, just seeing it as a learning opportunity and then reflecting on that and be like, okay, how might you approach it differently? Or this didn't work for you this time. What else might you try? And so it's just about reframing, um, reframing the experiences to be more positive. Sorry, we've had Romeo come and Sorry. join the recording. We're like, so we're all by the we're, baby. <laughs> I've had my brother looking after him and he's just tired so I know he's tired because he's now like just settling on me but yeah he's he's here guys he says hi (laughs) happy to have him but um Um, yeah there you go I was just gonna say um for someone who is listening what is like a big takeaway message if it's something that they're struggling with or they think someone in their 
friend group or family, like what is kind of the message that you want to get out to everyone regarding like bulimia recovery or is there like a bulimia awareness message that you feel passionately about? I think my main message is recovery is possible because I know when I was struggling, I like hardly even looked for help um, at one point. I'd recognized this is not how I want my life to be. I thought I am so broken, like no one could possibly help me with this. It's like so bad. Like I tried all the stuff that I thought was going to work, like a 30 day cleanse and all these other things. And I just, I felt really hopeless and I felt really helpless, which felt to me like the worst place um, to be. So just knowing that recovery is possible. And like you, like you kind of said, it's not an overnight thing, but I think if you know that, it has to feel so much more hopeful and more positive that you can work towards that and I think that's a really key thing to have in eating disorder recovery which again it's not always easy not every day you're going to feel optimistic but if you can hold on to that actually this is possible it's possible for me like I've had clients who have had eating disorders for like 30 years 40 mm. years who have recovered um so I believe it's possible for everyone um the people who I've trained with, um, so um, she's called Tian Jade, the head of the National Centre for Eating Disorders, who's been doing this for, I'm not sure how old she is, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to offend her, but she's, you know, should have, could have retired by now. She believes it's possible, um, when I did my PhD in Sheffield, um, they love CBT, um, but the head of the psychology department has been researching this for years and years and years. He believes that full recovery is possible and like so these academics, people who have been seeing people make these changes. So I just think it is possible for everyone. Yeah. Um, I think it's important to note as well that it doesn't happen overnight. And like you said, it is hard. It is hard work. But for anyone listening who has maybe tried to recover and feels like they didn't quite succeed, it's a journey and it will get better over time. And a lot of the time you can't see it getting better or you don't feel like you're making progress. But if you continue to work at it, it will get better. It just takes dedication. And just one more thing I want to bring up is um, we had Hala, who is a dietitian, talk about anorexia for eating disorder awareness week a few months ago. And um, well, actually probably longer, <laughs> a lot longer than that ago now. Um, but she said she brought up a very good point that no one's ever regretted recovery, mm -hmm. which I just want to finish on because I just think that's really important. No one has ever regret recovering from an eating disorder that we are aware of. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And I mean, both of you are testaments to that. So um, I think it's great that like it, like it's possible. It's yeah. hundred percent finish Amazing. on a positive note. Yes. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Rachel. Um, I really enjoyed this chat and I hope that our audience has as well and share it with someone who they might think that it would benefit them as well. hundred mm, percent. Rachel, thank you so much for both talking about your professional and personal experience in this area. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Where can everyone find you if they want to learn more about what you do or follow along in your journey? Oh, yeah. So my Instagram is rachel.evans.phd. Then my website is eatingdisordertherapist.co.uk. So that's on the homepage is where you can like get the free ebook. Um, and then also I have a podcast that's called Just Eat Normally. Um, so it is sharing like evidence-based tips about recovery, but it's also sharing people's stories um, which usually people find quite inspirational to see where people have come through. You can hear like what they learned in order to recover. Um, 
so yeah if you obviously listen to your podcast if you like podcasts um so maybe another one to add to the list awesome. yes we'll put that all in the show notes and we will catch up with you guys next week bye bye Thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode of the Forking Wellness Podcast. As always, please rate, review, and subscribe. And share with your friends if you love this episode. It really does help us get seen in the chart. You can now also order our Forking Wellness book anywhere books are sold. Order it on Amazon Prime for next day delivery. And Barnes & Noble in America. And if you love the book, we would so appreciate a review on Amazon. We absolutely love hearing your feedback and we really hope you enjoy it. We'll speak to you guys next week. Bye.